Sheriff Ozzy Knezovich talks with community leaders about issues in the public safety arena, sponsored by River Ridge Hardware. How are you doing today? This is Sheriff Ozzy Knezovich with the Sheriff's Report. In studio with me today, I have a good friend, Rob McCann, Director of Catholic Charities, and Rob and I are going to have a discussion a little bit about what you're seeing on the streets right now involving the homeless issue, the perceptions versus reality of homelessness, and quite frankly, the perception versus reality of the ability of law enforcement to help you in these areas anymore. But before we get there, I don't think a lot of people, Rob, understand the breadth and depth of Catholic Charities. I mean, people talk, hear the word Catholic Charities, but I don't think they quite understand exactly how large of an operation that, that you're working with right now. Can you guys give us a, a, an idea of exactly the size, especially when we talk about the homeless issue, you have four homeless shelters right now. Give us an idea of what that looks like. Yeah, I mean, that's a good place to start. A lot of it, same with law enforcement, you gotta debunk myth versus reality. Uh, you know, for Catholic Charities, we actually cover the whole eastern side of the state. So everything from the Oregon border to the Canadian border, everything in between. Uh, we have about 350 staff, uh, about 58 locations, uh, and serve about 75 thousand different people every time. So if you come to the House of Charity for lunch every day all year, you only get counted once in that 75,000. But uh, most people, when they hear Catholic Charities, they just think House of Charity, homelessness, shelter. Uh, that's partly a factor of, of media, partly a factor of social media. But the reality is uh, it's the smallest part of what we do. Uh, of those 75,000 people that we serve every year, only about 1,200 of them have anything to do really with homelessness. The rest are seniors, families, the disabled, veterans, farm workers, uh, just people in need, people living on that intergenerational poverty edge uh, all over eastern Washington, small farm towns, uh, bigger cities, Spokane obviously is, is a central place. But uh, we have about 1,400 units of housing. Uh, for seniors, families, uh, veterans, disability individuals, uh, and homeless people. Uh, and those are all over the, the eastern side of the state, but a lot of them obviously are in Spokane. Uh, you know, we have a lot of programs that people don't know about uh, because all we talk about is the House of Charity and homelessness, but we do mental health counseling, child care for 240 kids, uh, senior services, uh, you know, we do immigration legal services, we do emergency assistance. Uh, we do all kinds of uh, programs for kids and families uh, that we, I never get to talk about because all I talk about is homelessness. But the reality is homelessness is the sentinel issue of our day. Uh, it was the number one issue in the elections last year. It's going to be the number one issue in the elections this year. Uh, and quite frankly, I'm happy about that. I've been at Catholic Charities 21 years. I've been waiting for, for an issue of intergenerational poverty like homelessness to be the top issue for years, and it's a good thing. Even though the dialogue is hard and we don't always agree, uh, and sometimes people get super angry about it, it's a good dialogue and it's an important one. But the work we're doing at Catholic Charities, uh, often a lot of the work uh, becomes similar to what you struggle with, which is demystifying, debunking untrue things about what we do. Uh, you know, in the last couple years, something I've seen that I've never seen before uh, is that there's actually a, a conversation, a question, a discussion about whether or not we should help people. Uh, you know, we all learned in the first grade, if someone's hungry, you feed them. 
someone needs help, you help them. If someone needs a bed, you give them a bed. That's in question now. Uh, there, there are lots of folks who really are standing on an argument that says, actually, no, we shouldn't help those people. They haven't earned it. They don't deserve it. Uh, they haven't worked hard enough. That's a new paradigm that I've seen in just the last few years, really since the Great Recession. Uh, and I think it's something that we really have to work on. And, and as a result of that paradigm, we often get a lot of misinformation. So there, there's a lot on social media. There's a lot of people who want to make you afraid of the homeless. They want to make you angry at the homeless. They want to make you angry at anyone who serves the homeless. Can't tell you how many times I've been told, Rob, if you just stop feeding these people, they'd go away. Uh, you know, these are human beings. They're not stray cats. And uh, I think that that perception is growing, unfortunately. Uh, and that anger and that fear uh, usually leads to incorrect facts. So people think, well, gosh, House of Charity, there's no rules there. Uh, it is a low barrier shelter, which means we let in anybody in any condition. The only other people in town that can say that is the jail and the hospital. Uh, but on that point, let's, you, you mentioned that low barrier. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, you hit a nerve that I hear in the community often. Mm -hmm. Low barrier meaning no rules. Cover that just a little. I mean, let's, yeah. if we're gonna talk debunking the myths, yeah. talk, let's talk about what does that mean that low barrier, how does that equate in people's minds to no rules? Because that is exactly how that that is being talked about right now. Yeah, and it's, it's absolutely not true. Uh, we have lots of rules at the House of Charity. We do take anyone in any condition as long as you respect the staff, the facility, yourself, and the rules. So you can't come in the House of Charity and shoot up or, have a, or, or take a beer in there. Uh, we do know that people are actively struggling with mental health and substance abuse when they come in. Uh, they may have used or drank on the street right before they came in, and they may use or drink right after they leave. But in the building, there are a lot of rules for health and safety. Uh, and, and that's the only low barrier shelter we have. The other shelters we have are all high barrier. There's zero tolerance for drugs or alcohol. You get, you get thrown out immediately. Uh, and so, but there has to be both. Uh, this community needs both. You need, when I finally get someone clean and sober at the House of Charity, the last place I want them is in the House of Charity where they're gonna be in the day room and run into all their old drinking buddies. It's much better to put them in a place like UGM where it's a clean and sober environment, can support them, less temptation. That's absolutely needed, but you also need a place for those folks to go that can't get in anywhere else. You know, the community, they don't want them downtown. Uh, they, they don't want them in the park. They don't want them under the viaduct. Uh, and now lately what people are saying is, I don't even want them at the House of Charity. I, I wish you'd move that place or close it down. It's, it's attracting more people. The food is so good that they're coming from Alabama and Texas and Florida. Well, the data says no. The city's own data says, you know, 80 to 85% of our homeless folks are born within 75 miles of downtown Spokane. But people still get angry. They get, and you know, the reality for us is, it doesn't matter if you're from Spokane or Syracuse or Syria. If, you, if you're hungry, you're gonna get fed. If you need a bed, you're gonna get a bed. Uh, but we have lots of rules about health and safety, uh, and we work with people in the shelter to get them more stable, get them into treatment, get them into housing that we're building for them. Uh, but they have to be willing to work with us, and some are not. And, and the optics that we get judged on are not the 180 guys in the House of Charity. It's the 20 guys hanging out outside the building who we beg to come in they say, no, we refuse to come in. Uh, and they're out there, and, and some of them, unfortunately, have criminal intent and are involved in criminal activity. They prey on our vulnerable clients when they come out the door. They rob them. They take their money on the first of the month when they get their check. Uh, and those are the people that, as you drive by in Spokane, you drive by and you see this 
crowd of people in front of our buildings and you go, whoa, that's scary. And I don't like that. That's, that's a frightening optic. And so that becomes the narrative when the truth is, you know, the, the, the folks that we have inside are following the rules. Uh, and in our homeless housing, same optic. is that like, wow, you're giving these free apartments to people. There's no rules. Uh, you know, they're, they're shooting up in their apartments. Uh, and they got free rent from the federal government. You know, I worked every day in my life and no one gave me a free apartment. That's that kind of rhetoric that comes from a place of fear and anger. The reality is that our homeless housing projects are a lot like a college dorm, right? Where you've got 50 people in there and 47 of them are there to do the right thing, get stable, have a good life, have a forever home. But you got two or three that want to do nothing but trouble. In a college dorm, the RAs spend all the time, not on the 97 kids that are there to study, on the three kids that just want to party. Let's Let's shift gears just a touch, but I do want to come back to the perception of we're just giving uh, because that is, that is a major perception that I hear on a continual basis. But you say you have this crowd that outside the doors, uh, usually around the time when people are getting checks or something. Mm -hmm. What's the response from law enforcement right now for you? You know, that's, that's a great question. Uh, and we've seen a pretty dramatic change in that. Uh, you know, I, I believe that we are blessed with a really good law enforcement agency in the in this police department and the sheriff's department. I've been saying that for all 21 years I've been at Catholic Charities. They treat our people with dignity and respect and give them a level of patience and understanding that they don't always earn, but they get it anyway, and that's professionalism. Uh, that being said, uh, it's hard for the police to respond to all of this. Uh, you know, their, their calls are backed up because of some of these new laws that, you know, they used to clear a call in an hour, and now it's taken them six hours to clear the same call, which, you know, there, it's a reduction in the use of force, which I think we all agree is a great thing, uh, but then it also stacks up and backlogs those calls so that when my folks call and say, hey, I got a drug dealer, we all know he's a drug dealer, he's been parked out here all week, and he's openly dealing drugs on camera in front of the building in broad daylight. Uh, they, they have to stack that call up and, re and respond to the most priority. They're understaffed, uh, the police department, the sheriffs. Uh, the, it's hard to get people to be cops anymore. They're moving to Montana and Idaho. Uh, and, uh, you know, it creates a, a lack of personnel and then a lack of funding. So you don't have enough officers on the street uh, to where, you know, they can't respond to everything. Uh, and that becomes a huge problem in, in, in terms of the police's ability to respond. I think the intention is there, the heart is there, uh, but when the, those crowds are in front of our building and, and some of those people are preying on our clients and on our residents, we want them arrested. That's a law enforcement issue. And those are people that we've asked a million times, would you like us to help you? And they say no. They don't just say no, they say blank no. You know, and uh, for those people, after you ask them 20 or 30 times and they continue to engage in bad activities, we need an intervention there. And my staff can't do it. Uh, and really only law enforcement and the judicial system and the court system can do it. But there are lots of resources like community court and other places where they can go and start to stabilize their lives. Even the ones that are engaged in bad activities. We want to try and help them too. We love everybody. But we also have to have love and respect for our neighbors and for downtown business and the economy and tourism and restaurants and hotels. We need that to keep, have love and respect too. So we have to try and be good neighbors. So we spend about $400,000 a year on our own internal security force, which again has been hampered by some of the new laws. We had commissioned officers on our security team at Catholic Charities. Same with GU, same with the STA. It allows them to detain, it allows them to, to cite people and trespass people. 
some of these new laws have, has made the commissioned officers go away for all of us. Uh, and when the commissioners, the commissioned officers on our team were in effect, we reduced calls for service to the SPD by 50%. And now that we've lost the commission, those calls now are going to double. And of course, they don't have as much time and as much resources as they used to. So it's a real struggle for them and for us and for our residents and clients. I, I don't think a lot of people realize that the laws that were enacted, these reform laws that were enacted, they may have been enacted for good intent. I'll debate that with some of the, the folks and some of the things that they've done in reference to that because um, there was, they never used any quote unquote science behind what they have done here. Part of what they've done though is created a series of laws that across the state, you can't get two attorneys to agree on what the law actually says. There are agencies that are, are looking at some of these new laws that say, well, we can't commission people anymore. We can't give limited commissions. We can't give special commissions, i.e. your security folks, because the new law says we can't. However, there's attorneys out there that say differently. CJTC has come out with a interesting uh, guidelines on that, and which I shake my head and go, I'm not sure how that works. So it is a quandary out there. Um, after the program, let's talk about the commission issue because the county's taken a little bit different view of the commission issue. Um, we might be able to help you with, with that aspect. Mm -hmm. But let's take one step back, going back to perceptions. Can you give us an idea of how many people you're able to actually take from the street, get them cleaned back up, get their lives straightened back up, and get them back into society, i.e. housing, job? Uh, because I think that that's, that's the frustration I hear out on the street is, and in the community is, all we're doing is we, we just continue to feed them, but they, no, nobody's changing. Mm -hmm. No one, the dynamic's not changing. Uh, and I think that, I don't think there's anybody that has a problem with giving a person a hand, but there's two models, just giving a person a hand or giving a person a hand up. Mm -hmm. Kind of give us an idea of what the hand up aspect, because I, I don't think that they see that. I don't think that the, that the people you're talking about that are, are starting to get very angry about the situation, I don't think they're seeing that the concept isn't just a hand out. Yeah. It's also a hand up. Yeah, that's a great point and it's a great question. You know, we, everything we do at cafeterias is based on a real simple principle. Every human being is made in the image and likeness of God. And if that's true, every human being deserves basic dignity and respect. Uh, and so whether it's a hand up or a hand out, uh, if it's about dignity and love, 
then it's something that's useful. But really all of our programs are about elevating people and transforming them. So we have entire staffs of people whose only job is to focus on those homeless folks in our shelter or on the street or under the viaduct and get them into mental health counseling, get them into substance abuse counseling, get them into the pipeline for housing. Uh, and that's our, that's our success metric, is how many homeless people are we getting into permanent, stable, forever homes? Uh, and with the housing shortage in Spokane, super hard to get an apartment for people with, with stable jobs and backgrounds. A homeless person is really only going to get an apartment if we build one that only he or she can move into by law, which is what we've been doing now for 10 years, is building a lot of apartments, which, by the way, makes people a little bit upset because you're building a lot of apartments for those people. Uh, and they, in many cases, they're getting Section 8 vouchers, which means their rent might be $0 a month. Uh, but the way that we help them is we measure everything. We have to measure metrics. Uh, we don't just give someone the keys to an apartment and say, hey, here, here's your free place with a kitchen, a bathroom, and a bed. Have fun. Uh, it, there's expectations that you are going to increase your stability. Uh, we, we've increased our residents' income by, on average, $700 a month, where they used to be zero, whether that's with a part-time job or getting some benefits they didn't know they were eligible for, but more importantly, stabilizing them from a, from a mental health and substance abuse perspective. These folks in our shelter and in our homeless housing are the sickest people in Spokane medically that are in the hospital. Uh, they're the most fragile. And so we really have to surround them with a lot of medical care, a lot of social services, and these services are in every building. Uh, that's why we build these buildings this way. So there's a mental health counselor, substance abuse counselor in the building, case managers in the building. And we measure everything. And, and as we move folks in, we have about an 85% success rate. Success is defined by you come off the street, you're that guy pushing a shopping cart, talking to himself downtown, panhandling, whatever, uh, that you move into one of our apartments, we surround you with love and services so that success equals two years later, you're still there. You haven't gone back to jail, you haven't gone back to the street, gone, or gone back to the shelter. About an 85% success rate, which is really good. Uh, and people who don't engage in services that live in our building, they say, I don't want to talk to the counselor, I don't want to better myself, then they, have, they get a couple chances, because we're about second chances for human mm -hmm. beings, but after several chances, we give them an opportunity to say, unless you're going to engage in services, your housing could be at risk, and we have to take you back a notch to the shelter. Uh, and that works most of the time. Uh, but those services are absolutely essential. We, we obviously are feeding people at the House of Charity that are in a very tough spot. Some of them are not ready to stop using or stop drinking. Some of them are not ready to take that one medication a day that would make them stable. So we have them come in every day, and every day we ask them, are you ready today? Are you ready today? And they may say no for weeks or months or even years, but we're there every day. Uh, and we have to give them that offer. The, the last couple buildings that we filled with homeless people uh, that moved in, uh, they were on average 11.2 years homeless. So that's an average, which means there were some 20-year folks in there with the three-year folks. 11.2 years on the street in homelessness moving into a forever home, but there has to, there has to be that path. Uh, and so we have to build more housing, we have to have services that att uh, attract those folks in the shelter and say, we want to help you today. Are you ready to get help? You know, Rob, one of the things that, I, that I, I'm not sure people understand is you're dealing with an issue that, quite frankly, the state and even at the national level have basically walked away from. They've cut funding for. They've pushed it down to the local level, which is mental health issues, um, drug prevention, drug re rehab. They have started taking 
people from the institutions, mental health institutions, putting them into group homes. If they fail at the group home, there's no such thing as going back to the institution. Mm -hmm. They fail at the group home, they end up on the street. Yep. You're dealing with that aspect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are people out there that cannot function in normal society. They need that structure. They need that that institutionalized structure to help them move forward. You kind of, you're really filling that gap for a lot of these people. And I don't think a lot of people understand just how many people that you're serving have true mental health issues that are exasperated by self-medication, i.e. drugs, alcohol. And this isn't a quick fix. Yep. There is no such thing as a quick fix on this because they will be dependent for forever in, in some cases. And we, society, state, have said, no, we're, we're not dealing with that. You, locals, you deal with it. We're not funding the, the institutions the way we were. Part of that is, I think, the perception that you are fighting right now is that, well, these are just people that don't want to. Mm -hmm. There's a significant amount of that 1,200 homeless that we have tried to get help. And they don't want it. But what do you do with them? What do you do with that individual that doesn't want help? Put them in jail? I'm not so sure that that's the wisest move there is because uh, jail is for those who have broken the law. Uh, many of these people, they not really haven't broken the law. They, they really haven't. They, they're, they're, their sin, if you will, is to sleep out on the street, um, and that's the only thing that they really understand, but they don't want that help. Right. The moratoriums, let's close with that. We have about uh, four minutes left. Mm -hmm. How is it, how is the moratoriums as far as evictions affected your ability to, to serve the community? Yeah, I mean, that's an important question for these times. Uh, you know, obviously at Catholic Charities, we believe that everyone should stay in stable housing and we preserve housing. And it takes a lot to get evicted from Catholic Charities housing. You have to fail multiple times with us talking to you every time. Uh, and really, it's only reserved for people that are a, a severe danger to themselves or to their housing community that they live in. Uh, and it's rare, but it does happen. Uh, you know, the moratorium has protected a lot of people from, from getting uh, evicted. But at the same time, it, we are, have been unable to get rid of those two or three in each building that are, are really a danger to themselves or the whole community. Uh, we can't evict them. We had someone who started a campfire in our lobby, uh, and we can't evict them. Uh, that's a health and safety issue, and we always want to preserve housing, and we do that. Uh, but you know, sometimes the, the moratorium has an unintended consequence, uh, and there's all this CARES money, billions of dollars, it's tens of millions just in our community, for landlords to make up people's back rent so they don't get evicted. Here's what we're seeing. We call landlords. We say, hey, Bill Smith, he owes you $18,000. I'm going to write you a check for $18,000. All you got to do is promise you're not going to evict Bill when the moratorium's lifted. And here's what a lot of landlords tell me. Rob, keep the money. I don't want it. Because as soon as the moratorium's lifted, I'm going to evict him, and I'm going to put a coat of paint on that apartment and triple the rent. 
And in this housing inventory, they could do that and they'll rent it like that. Yeah. And so uh, the money to keep people in their units, it, it's not getting out there because a lot of landlords don't want it. Uh, the eviction moratorium uh, has the uh, consequence for us in that for people that are really harmful to themselves or to their community in our buildings, it's tougher for us to move them back to the shelter where we can cover them with love and stability and give them another try in a few months in another unit. But for now, you're starting a campfire in our lobby. You're not ready for this housing. The other 47 people in the building are, but these three uh, that make up the last three in the building, they're, they're not ready. And we need to be able to take action with them uh, in a loving, compassionate way that gives them a safety net with us, but we still need to take action because we got 47 other people in that building that want to have a stable, happy, healthy, forever life. Again, a lot of issues here, a lot of perceptions, misconceptions, and I think a lot of people need to understand that we, meaning society, especially at the state level, have said we're not funding mental health. I, I have been saying this for 13 years now. Mm -hmm. I, I have been trying to get across to people that the bottom line is what you're seeing is the state has gone to the least restrictive alternatives in many aspects and they went to least restrictive alternatives in, in the mental health arena meaning that if we move you out of the institution put you in a group home you fell there and this is where I think that the failure of the state is if you fell in the group home you shouldn't be put on the streets that should not be the ultimate outcome of, well, you failed there, you're out. There should be a, okay, let's stair step back into the institution, get you stabilized, and try to bring you back out into the group home. That would take a huge amount of pressure off of Catholic charities mm -hmm. in dealing with the mental health issue. But the state isn't doing that. The state doesn't have that, that in mind. They have pushed this to the local level. They expect the local government to deal with it. We're not geared for that. We don't have the services. We rely on you to do this. So maybe uh, part of the solution for to fix this is to go back to our legislatures and, and, and go, look, if we're going to put people into group homes, mental health group homes, if they fail, the failure shouldn't come to the street. The failure should be stair-stepped back into institution, restabilize, and back into society. Yeah. That, I think, would take a lot of pressure off of Catholic charities. Well, keep in mind, our, our homeless population in our shelters and housing flow between 85 and 95 percent of them are struggling from mental health and substance abuse issues. Yeah, and co-occurring. Uh, co-occurring at the same time. One feeds the other. Right. Uh, so 85 to 95 percent of our people are struggling with this. People ask me all the time, if a billionaire came and gave you a blank check, what would you do? And it, they're surprised when I tell them, it's not build more shelters or build more housing even, it's open Costco-sized mental health substance abuse facilities, Costco-sized childcare centers, so kids don't have adverse childhood experiences and end up on that path towards mental health and substance abuse self-medication. That's, that's how you get ahead of this. It's not necessarily by shelters and housing, although we need those things. If I had unlimited money, it would be mental health, substance abuse, and childcare. I say the same thing, if I had my opportunity, the next facility built in the state would be a 24-month drug and re alcohol recovery for those who commit crimes, low-level crimes, get them into it, 
get their, their mental health issues, their co-occurring drug issues and alcohol issues sorted out, work on training for jobs, work on education. By the time they're ready to, to leave, stair-step them into stabilized housing with a job, and that's how you break this cycle. Upstream. Housing, yeah. education, and a job. Yep. Breaks this cycle. Rob, yep. thanks for coming in. Thanks for talking right. about these issues. Very important issues, very passionate issues, and I think that there are ways that we can work with our partners in Catholic Charities and other uh, you know, groups that are out there wanting to help and wanting to do the best that we, they can for people, but at the same time, the state has to step back up and help us not just continue feeding people into your systems that really yeah. should be in our systems. Yeah. Well, thank you for all you're doing, too. Great talking to you. Great talking to you. Folks, this is Sheriff Hazi Knezovich with the Sheriff's Report. Have a great day. Thanks for watching. Ask the host a question, recommend a guest, or check out any of our other programs on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SpokaneTalksMedia.com. Sponsored by River Ridge Hardware.